Hi, friends. Hello, should I delete that, listeners? We still have some tickets left for our live tour and we would absolutely love to see you there. On Thursday, the 23rd of May, we will be performing in the London Islington Assembly Hall. On Monday, the 27th of May, we will be in Salford. On Tuesday, the 28th of May, we'll be in Glasgow. Sunday, the 2nd of June, Birmingham. Monday, the 3rd of June, Bristol. And Tuesday, the 4th of June in Southampton. You can get your tickets at aegpresents.co.uk or via the link in the show notes or our Instagram bios. Really hope we'll see you there. That night, I won £127,000. No one ever sat me down and said, you've won life-changing money. My mortgage was 65 grand, and I didn't pay my mortgage off. And for the next 16 years, till I was 45, I gambled every day. I ended up homeless and lost about half a million pound. Hello, welcome to the podcast. Oh, Christ, okay, sorry. We are changing things up. We have to be more efficient. We, we talk for too long. No, we're not chatting out. We're time. recording. We're Oof. busy. We're busy fucking people, all right? Okay. Time is wow. money. Bam, bam, bam. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. Yeah, we talk too much. Yeah, we're cutting it down. We're cutting it down. This is quick, bad and awkward. Bing, bing, bang, bing, bing, bang, bosh, bang, bosh. This is, bosh, this is bosh, you're bosh. wasting time. Sorry. <laughs> Tell me something good. Hey, okay. <sighs> My good. Um, I finally found a heatless curl method that actually works for me. (laughs) When I tell you, I saw it on Instagram, I woke up the next morning and I was like, that was the first thing I did. I was like, how did it go? How did it go? How did it go? You weren't up yet. I was like, fuck. Honestly, I've never had so much joy in my inbox <laughs> than, than this like ever like people were genuinely so happy for me I think because the situation has just been quite desperate it's been a bit sad it's yeah. been sad it's been desperate I've had literally thousands of people tell me you've got really thin hair and I'm like okay I, I know thank you fuck off <laughs> it's actually yeah no I do have thin hair whatever anyway and it actually finally worked I mean the bar is low when I looked like when I was doing it at the time I was like fuck this is amazing and then when I looked back at the video I was like it's actually not that good I think the bar is just so low the bar was very low the bar was so low that it was it was like it was passable curls and I was very happy I'm proud of you thank you I'm happy for you too um I don't really have so much of a good other than that this isn't our reality right now so like the good thing is that I woke up this morning because last night I had a dream that I gave birth to my baby (laughs) and we had agreed to go on a press trip to Dubai and obviously I had not I didn't want to go to Dubai because there's a lot of reasons I don't want to go to Dubai I I don't like Dubai but I didn't want to go and then I gave birth to the baby and I had the baby and I was like fuck I'm supposed to be at the airport now and you were being such a knob you were like where are you and I'm like I've just had the baby and you were like you were gonna miss care. the flight literally so i was like right so i left the baby i mean literally cord cut see ya with my mom came to the airport and we got there and i checked in with you and then i was like oh i just really don't feel right about this like i just don't think i can go to dubai right now and you were like for fuck's sake and then you went off and made like two friends and you went and sat in a lounge somewhere and i was just sitting by myself and i was like i'm oh my just God. such a bad mom still bleeding yeah. <laughs> like i still got the morphine like running through like you. milk coming out of me and i was on facetime to my mom and she's like yeah yeah the baby's fine and i was like i should be with the baby and you were just being such a like i see you next tuesday and Aww. i was like you know what i'm gonna go home and then i couldn't find anyone to take me home in the car and i was like, i just need to get back to my baby and then i just was like i'm never gonna forgive alex for 
taking this this away from me <laughs> and then i just remember being like have, have a nice time in dubai you dick and then i woke up this morning and i was like Oh my god, for that! <laughs> oh my god, still I promise. Now I'm in Dubai. I promise not to do that to you. I promise to never try and make you go to Dubai because I don't want to go either. Thank you. <laughs> and I also promise not to rip you away from your baby as soon as it's born. Off the day it's born. I, I will to go on a you... press trip to Dubai. A day. A you day. were literally in W. H. Smiths at the airport, just like really like kicking off at me, and I was like, for fuck's sake, I've just had a kid. <laughs> and it reminds me of my dream last night. I've really gotten into the US office and I was watching on TikTok uh, videos of Steve Carell and there was one of like fans trying to get his autograph and stuff and then I dreamt that I was a celebrity and I was trying to get a flight but I couldn't because people kept stopping me for pictures and autographs and I was like guys I just want to get my flight I woke up like I'm so glad I'm not a celebrity it would be tiring it would be exhausting all the time you just get stuck you get stuck yeah so yeah okay i promise not to take you away from your baby thanks that's nice um anything but my bad it's really bad no 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 because i've turned a corner with it my bad has turned into my good but it was my bad anyway my vegetarianism oh no has been tested what kind of a pig have you slaughtered (laughs) has been tested okay uh and it's always bacon and this summer i've had a few, quite a few falls off the wagon yeah and it's been bad and i'm really not happy with myself and on not holiday it was bad because i mean in cyprus vegetarian options are extreme as you can imagine are very limited not great and yeah i wasn't i don't know and i i feel but i've been home for a week and a bit now and i am so back on the veggie train when you say you went off the wagon did you just like slip and it's like oh there's like a bit of a rasher in my caesar salad or was it like face first into like 14 big macs and a hot dog no like i wouldn't i wouldn't eat like that kind of stuff but like bacon i it just has like i've got a fucking it's got a hold over over me and when i get that smell i kind of turn feral (laughs) um so yeah, no, when I slip, I tend to slip big. Yeah. And have, like, rather than, like, oh, a rasher, and I'll have, like, 17 like rashers. It doesn't even need to be cooked. I'm just like... Rah, rah, rah. What's I going to call it? Hog on the hob, but it's not called that, is it? A ho- hog on the cob? No, that's a corn on the cob. Corn What's it cob. called? A hog, hog roast. roast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hog, hog on the cob. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Okay, my bad. Less bad, probably. Not great. But such is my life now. The bar's just so low that I'm not even expecting this to be that bad. But my sickness has come back in a big way this week. Just out of fucking nowhere. Um, it's minding my business. Yeah, so annoying. Like, but that, apparently that happens. I just think I just think sickness is part of the pregnancy experience. I don't think it's going away. I think I was an idiot okay. to think otherwise. I'm still on medication. Yeah. I'm fine. Anyway, I think it's worse when I'm tired and stressed. Yeah. And I've been very tired and stressed because... I'm just such a, bo- such a boss bitch. I'm not. Um, just because Girl I, boss. Because I can't handle fucking anything. So I've just been tired. And um, anyway, I was sick. And this has happened twice this week, Al. Oh, no. And I can't believe this has happened twice this week. And bear in mind, I've been sick. I mean, I must have been sick a thousand times in this pregnancy. But this, for some reason, this week has just been, we've gone up a notch. It's like we've like, we've gone up a level. I've graduated. So I was at my dad's house of the day yeah. and I was sick. Yeah. And as I was sick, no. it landed with such a plop. Yeah. No, the water just came back. Oh my God, oh my God. And hit me in the face. That, that, that I, I walked horrible. out of the room and I was like, 
I'm I've just sick on my own I was just sick on my own face. <laughs> and then as if that wasn't bad enough, when I got back to London on Monday or Tuesday, Monday, when I got back to London on Monday, it happened again. It splashed back again. And I was so aggressively sick that as I was sick, I peed myself a tiny bit. And as I started oh. peeing myself, the splashback hit me again in the eye. Oh. And I just thought, this isn't good. Quite a low point. <laughs> yep, it felt bad. That is quite bad. Yeah, it's not good. Oh. It's not good. Like, and I don't know why it's just happened twice this week where it's never happened before. But twice in three days. I twice mean, in two days. I have hope that it will go away, though, the sickness. No. No? No. Or does that just give you false hope? And then... Yeah, it's the John Cleese quote. What's that? Like, Despair you can handle, it's the hope that kills you. Oh, yeah, I like that. Yeah, you yeah. can't have hope. You yeah. can't. I can, I'm very happy to despair. And I can just sit yeah. there and go, fuck's sake. But you know what? I'm, I'm well over halfway. It's yeah. fine. It's fine. It's better than it was. It won't last forever. And it's like the ultimate Kinder Egg surprise at the end because I get a baby. So it'll be worth it. And it's going to be like double yeah. whammy. I've, it'd be trip. It'd be the hat trick. I've got a baby. Yeah. I haven't got to go, to go to Dubai with you. And the sickness <laughs> stops. So it's going to be a good day. <laughs> Anything awkward. <laughs> Goes to Dubai. Um, what about like South Africa? Like, you could do that. If mean. the kid can come, yeah, but I just, I think no. it was just like leaving the, like, genuinely, I was like out the hospital, like, there's a car waiting outside for me because we're going to Dubai. Oh, that makes me feel really queasy. About just leaving my kid? Just like, you're just like freshly given birth. Yeah, like, all my insides are still like hanging on the outside. Oh, you, like, you haven't even given your no, yeah, placenta like, hasn't even it, come it was out. literally that, like, it was an obscene situation. <laughs> when like, I woke up this morning and I just like felt like the bump was still there and like I didn't have like an umbilical cord like hanging from a vag, I was like, oh. Praise be. Thank God. <laughs> no, it's going to be a good day. <laughs> the umbilical cord doesn't hang from the badge. Does it? Oh. Of course what? it does. Oh, yeah. No, wait. Yeah. And then it just... Back up again. Fuck off. That's what happens. No, it doesn't. Yes, it does. I'm going to Google it. Because you cut it and no, then... No, but each baby produces their own individual yeah, umbilical so you cut cord, it, right? And then... Okay. What, I did, what, did you just imagine you just like pull it out like a magic I just, trick? I just went onto my Google and... <laughs> But what was waiting for me was a ton of strapless dildos. Don't ask. We've been recording. What um, happens to the umbilical... <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, Daisy said it's, it's attached to the placenta. Oh. Cord. When... So, yeah, it probably does hang down a bit. And then when you... Daisy said, don't quote me, Christ. Too late. Too late, Lafleur. Um, when you give birth. I think that does make sense, Daisy. In the womb, the umbilical cord delivers oxygen and nutrients needed to allow your baby to grow. After birth, the cord is after birth, the cord is clamped and cut, leaving a stump. This eventually falls off. Yeah, but what happens to the other end of it? Yeah, what happens to the other end? Hang on, I'm gonna Yeah, the this. umbilical cord and attached yeah, it's attached to the placenta. So if you didn't cut it, it would take 10 days for it to detach from the baby on its own. Imagine, like, sweet little newborn and, ugh, what's that? Like, <laughs> like a big, like, sack of juices just attached to it all the time. Oh, right, yeah. That wouldn't look so good in the newborn pictures that people hire photographers for. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, so, so, okay, so that makes it so the baby's born, then you cut it, then you have to give birth to the placenta. That's an absolute Sorry, swiz, I know... can I just say. I have to give birth to two things and I'm only getting one. Baby. And I know that it's a miracle, and the placenta is a like. I'm, I'm not but eating I just it. read something that's really I'm not eating me. it. The placenta is a pancake-shaped mass of blood vessels. 
I know I've got one in my tummy now when things that are not supposed to be eaten are attached or like described in food terms why would I want to eat it someone said this to me and this no it was a sonographer doing the scan and she was obviously being very diplomatic like in case I did say I wanted to eat it but I saw the placenta and I was like and she was like yeah and then obviously I was just like and people eat it and she was trying to be diplomatic in case I did want to eat it and I was like I'm not going to fucking eat that she was like oh good can you see on the scan? Yeah. Oof, wow. you, because we're not supposed to be getting distracted, Daisy. We're not getting distracted. It's we're not getting two, distracted. It's so quick. But the placenta can be in different places, right? So they have to check because you don't want it to be at the bottom because then yeah. it blocks the cervix. So then obviously yeah. like having a baby is going to be a nightmare because the placenta is in the way. So you might have to have a C-section if it doesn't move. Oh. If it's at the front of your womb, an anterior, I can't remember what it's called. If it's at the front, yeah. then you can't feel the baby moving so much. So mine's right at the back, which, right. which is a perfect place, which that is was... why... It's like top right, basically, mine. Okay. Which is why I've been able to feel... Oh, I felt the baby kick today, guys. But that's I why um, that's why I can feel the baby kicking, and I have been able okay. to since like seventeen weeks, sixteen weeks. Right. Maybe no, maybe later than that. Maybe God, I didn't know that that it can be in like different, different places. places. Yeah, so that's a big thing they do at the twenty week scan. Is they like check where the placenta is to check that it's in like the right position. Huh. Because I think one of my friends had it really low down, but then it moved last minute. You want it to move last minute, basically, or you want it to move right. at some point because otherwise it's going to be in the way. That makes sense. I know because you don't want to give birth the placenta first do you, you can't you? No, why no, no, not? no no you oh. can't oh. because the because the, the thing drains the womb drains that's when your waters break all the amniotic fluid goes yeah so then your baby's only got like a finite amount of time really to get out because obviously they need the right. liquid so you haven't okay. got time to be fucking about with the placenta you've got to get a human out there yeah 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 i was I thinking it could be like a, a nice little like like pre like a little pre <laughs> like a starter, starter. yeah that would like be nice the actual baby but okay um <laughs> Awkward. What's your awkward? Oh, um, I leant down in the park the other day to put the lead on Boa and I didn't close my mouth properly and I dribbled on her head. <laughs> on Boa's head? On Boa's head, yeah. <laughs> and she just shook it. Poor Boa. And then we just carried on. Um, my awkward happened today. I've been, I've been keeping this in all day. I got off the train at Charing Cross and was obviously like furiously on my phone, like I don't know what I was doing, like trying to sort something out whatever and I was paying absolutely no attention and I went smack bang into I actually don't know what it is because I ran away so fast and I didn't turn around to see what it was because I just wanted to get away from everything I walked smack bang into this very hard metal structure pillar and I said sorry to it and then I ran away fucking mortified not a train full of people all getting off together everyone saw it you've done loads of embarrassing shit today oh god what what was I doing you came in my segment of the spinny doors and you stopped the thing (laughs) I hate people getting in my segment Daisy Grant I see you looking at me you got in my segment too and you also got it stopped I did it because you hate it (laughs) so twice people have got in my segments today and twice you've stopped it emergency stopped it so stay out my fucking segment but then also we were in Leon for lunch and someone said Alex here's your order and you went to go and get the order and it wasn't for you (laughs) I literally picked up the order like it wasn't my it was clearly not my it was definitely not what i it was like a wrap and something and but i was getting a called burger alex. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's like, there's no other possibility so i was just like grabbing it and this girl, girl like tapped me on the shoulder and she's like sorry um my name's alex too and i think that's mine and i was like fuck that's definitely yours that's not mine also i ordered mine like two seconds ago it would have to be extremely quick um, so you're just you're you're a celebrity like in your dream i'm a celeb what can i say what can yeah i'm a star rushing you through leon don't um, make alex lightweight for a wrap <laughs> Alex Lightweight's for no one actually. Alex Lightweight for <laughs> no rap. Just too important. Um 
Wow. Well, we've actually so barreled through that as per the instructions. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Everybody's very happy. Daisy looks chuffed. I was about to take us on a tangent, but I'm not going to do it. Fine, I will. I went to Veggie Prep today and I didn't know Veggie Prep was a thing. And all the pastries are vegan. And you if, you ha- if I haven't mentioned it yet, since being pregnant, I can eat gluten. I've had a gluten intolerance for eight years. Weirdest fucking thing. Out of nowhere. Poof. Gone. Just gone. So weird. And I'm making the most of it because I don't know how long it's going to last. And if sometimes it lasts after pregnancy, sometimes it doesn't. Oh my God, fingers crossed. I know. I'm going to force it to fucking last. I think you should, yeah. But just in case it doesn't, my Alex has been taking me to Italian restaurants all over London to make the most. (laughs) And I try every single pasta dish we can. We're running out of time. We've got to go, go, go. Yeah. And um, yeah, and veggie prep. Holy shit. I've had a pan of chocolat. I've had a chocolate brownie. In my bag, I've got another fruit croissant to try. And... Yeah. burger we went to leon burger yeah last yeah. night i went to an italian restaurant i had a pasta dish i'm a whole it's a whole new I world think i think it's gonna last after pregnancy yeah and i yeah it's as you be... would say i'm manifesting it yeah, i'm manifest 100 percent. 100 percent. um we have a really okay. important episode today we do let's get into it we're really excited about today's episode, which we've done in partnership with Gamble Aware. Uh, the charity has launched a prevention campaign targeting women to raise awareness of vital support available for those who may be struggling. And at a time where the rising cost of living could lead to an increase in gambling harms against women, we thought this was a really good time to do an episode like this. Concerning statistics show that one in 10 women are already using gambling to try and supplement household income. And one in five women who gamble already are experiencing mental health challenges such as stress and anxiety due to gambling. For this reason, Gamble Aware, the charity, has launched a campaign for women uh, who gamble and they're trying to raise awareness of the critical warning signs of gambling uh, and how to seek support. So if you are worried about you or your loved ones gambling or you're starting to lose track of time, Time, spending more than you can afford or hiding your gambling from others please don't hesitate to visit begambleaware.org for free confidential support or call the national gambling helpline on 0808 8020133 in this episode we speak to two gambling addicts lisa and joe who are now in recovery and they very bravely shared their stories with us and shared advice for anyone who might be in a similar position. We really loved the interview and cannot wait for you to hear it. It's a perspective that we just hadn't heard before because as we talk about a lot in this episode, when a lot of us think about gambling, it's it's men that are doing it. So it was a really valuable perspective and we can't wait for you to hear from them. But first we spoke to the charity CEO, Zoe Osmond, and psychologist, Dr Linda Papadopoulos. Hi everyone. So today we are joined by Zoe Osmond, who is a CEO of Charity Gamble Aware and Chartered Counselling and Health Psychologist, Dr. Linda Papadopoulos. And we are so happy that you're here to discuss and raise awareness around gambling in women, which is something that is becoming increasingly more common. And yet there's still a huge stigma around it. So we're really happy that we're doing this episode to kind of raise some awareness and just talk about it and have an an, an open conversation about it. So, Zoe, we'd love to start with you and find out 
in your words, what GambleAware is, what it does, um, and what you do specifically. Absolutely. So we are um, a charity and we commission prevention and treatment services, which basically at one end make people aware of the risks of gambling. I mean, gambling is of itself a sort of a huge leisure activity in this country, but it comes with risks. Mm. Um, so at one level, making people aware of those risks and at the other, basically educating people about the risks um, and providing people with um, support, advice, and where to go for treatment. So we commission treatment services, which uh, can vary right through from sort of counselling through to residential services, where you actually have to go um, and receive treatment for three months. Mm. So right from every level of extremity to do with gambling, unfortunately. You make a really interesting point about it being a leisure activity in the UK. And I, I, I don't know if this is inappropriate to say about my own nation, but I do feel like we normalise a lot of behaviours that other cultures perhaps don't think are so standard and I reference drinking or binge drinking as one of those as well but I when I think of gambling as a ledger activity I sort of think of it more as like lads betting on the football more yeah. so I don't really imagine it as something that women do for leisure but it is common Linda right among among women it is and and I think um the worry is is that it is becoming more common it's it's fast increasing and and here's here's the rub I think when I, I looked at the um at the data from gamble aware. Um, it, it's not just that it's increasing, it's that because it's more stigmatizing for women, because we don't know about it as much. It's, you're absolutely right. You kind of think of the guy at the races. Mm. And that is often a barrier to a woman either acknowledging that she has this issue or seeking support for it. And therein lies the problem, right? Because when we're talking about gambling or any other kind of behavior that kind of involves, eventually involves harm if it becomes a compulsion, if you don't acknowledge it as such, or if you feel that this is so stigmatizing, I shouldn't have this other women don't have this, mm. then that becomes a problem. And I kind of liken this to, you know, back even a few years ago, you'd say heart disease and you just think of the guy, right? The guy eating a bunch of steak and yeah. fries. And yeah. it was like women weren't, you know, and of course women have heart yeah. disease. And it's to me, right, it's something really similar. Mm. Actually, I mean, you're right. And a lot of women don't even see what they're doing is gambling. Weirdly, because basically a lot of the advertising is portrayed as quite sort of innocent and fun and playful and social and they don't recognise it to be gambling and therefore as a result if they do begin to suffer from and experience some harm from gambling they are unaware of what they should do and what, where to go to for support mm. so getting people to open up and have the conversation is, is a big step in the right direction mm. Kind of slightly off script but I, I'm wondering if we can have if there's any way of defining where it tips from being a leisure activity into being a problem. Mm. What are the, like for someone with their own gambling, um, say they don't know if it's a problem or not, what would be the defining traits, would you say, the characteristics? Well, there's a few things you can look at. So I think one of them is if you're losing track of time, right? So that sense of kind right. of becoming so into it that, you know, you, you thought you'd play, you know, whatever online for half an hour and then three hours later you're doing it. The mm -hmm. second is if it's costing you money you don't have, right? So that's harmful. So I thought I'd go on and I'd, you know, I'd spend 10 pounds and then 100, 200 pounds later, I'm still there. And the third one and this is really interesting is that I'm beginning to hide and lie right because that kind of yeah. speaks to this idea that I know what what I'm doing is wrong that there's a yeah. problem but also I feel that stigma and I can't get help so I think those are the three main things to look at 
Absolutely. So, I mean, the hiding is is the is the real the real signal. I mean, there are there are sort of a what's called the PGSI sort of severity index. So you can basically go away and and do a, a quick. In fact, on our website is a sort of a questionnaire, so you can start to work out whether you're beginning to sort of show some of the signs of, of harm. So one of them, the most obvious one, is you know, have you ever bet it, bet more than you can afford? Mm. So that is a, that is a really big uh, red flag. But in the, in doing so, you know, one shouldn't feel ashamed or embarrassed. One should feel okay. Well. I now need to fix fix this issue and and know where to go for help, or at least just go to the Be Gambler Aware website and look for what the tips and advice and support is available. I think that's a really interesting point. I think psychologically, and I find that this is an issue with behavioural change anywhere. You know, it's sort of when I speak to, to women about kind of, I'm afraid to get on the scale. It's not a report card. It's a data point. I'm yeah. afraid to see if there's a problem. It's not a report card. It's not saying you're a good person or a bad person. Yeah. It is a yeah. data point. And with that data point, you're then able to think, okay, what do I need to do? I didn't realise this was a problem or maybe I was lying to myself and the, the, the way of getting over that stigma is is to kind of reframe what you see that information as so it that it you know there's no power without responsibility right and you need to see that as something that, that empowers you to take responsibility to make that behavioral change. Um, if I could go back to your point about the the, the leisure industry and a leisure activity, I mean, you're right. It, it's it's sort of part of the culture of, of Britain, if you mm. think about it. The sort of the the national lottery, which is an, a, a form of gambling. It's a more benign form of gambling, but it is essentially gambling. And I know it raises an enormous amount of money for good causes. Right through to the fact that you're going down to the sort of the the old fashioned view of going down to the bookies with your dad or whatever mm. to make a bet through the grand national. So it's sort of in 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 the psyche, and people grow up in households where there are are people are, are making bets or gambling or whatever terminology they choose to use. So it's really important that as 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 children enter into adulthood, they are aware of the fact that this is a risky activity. It's a leisure activity maybe, but it's a risky activity. Yeah. And it's important that people are educated accordingly. Yeah, you're right. I don't think you realise because I remember even like my my gran would take us to Doncaster races which is where she's from and it would be like but she'd give us a pound to put on a horse and it's like you don't equate that as being real money because it's not your money so if you do grow up with that every year that carried on with the Grand National and everything and yeah it's so true but um, I wonder if you have any statistics on how many women are gambling in the UK and like what it was that caused you or caused Gamblerware to launch a campaign that was specifically focused at women? So there are around um, 6 million women who, who gamble um, in, in Great Britain. Um, and uh, what the, the, the sort of areas of concern for us is this sort of perfect storm brewing. So um, what we've seen is an increase in the number of women gambling, particularly online. I mean, you'd expect some increase because you know, we all walk around with our phones, so people are moving towards online gambling more and more. And it's about 28% for men, but it's about 54% for women over the last five years. And that particularly... Um, ticked up during uh, during the pandemic you know people at home right. bored trying to anxious escape etc so you've got that on one hand then you've also got um, huge numbers of women who actually are called what we call affected others so they may be affected by the, the man or somebody else in their household that is gambling. Mm-hmm. So we also need to send the same the same same message to them. And then on top of that, we're obviously dealing with a you know an unprecedented cost of living crisis, mm-hmm. and um, we are deeply concerned that with this cost of living crisis, and we, we've done some research that shows that a number of women are sort of turning to gambling to sort of help to alleviate the household bills is a, a massive issue for concern. And then the final thing is we've seen um, a, a doubling of the number of women presenting for treatment. Um, which which I suppose is good because they're coming forward for treatment. But, you know, it's the trends 
data around it that is is giving us cause for concern. So all of these are pointing to this sort of sign of of a perfect storm and and therefore as a result, this sort of campaign that we've just launched is, is critical so that we can prevent... It's a prevention campaign rather than trying to get people directly into treatment. Great if we can, but it's essentially making people just aware of the risks. Such a good point about the cost of living. Was it this morning that did, like, you can win your bills being paid for a year? And I guess it's like a a couple of companies, a couple of medias have done that. And it's, like... Terrifying. Terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. Yeah, Yeah. and then I I guess, like, combined with the prevalence of gambling adverts... They are everywhere, aren't they? They're everywhere. And once you start to notice them, then you see them. Every, you, just, you see them everywhere because we're kind of used to them. But once you you point them out, it it becomes. It's. I just think fascinating to see how out in the open it is. And that's the thing. And I think in the same way we've kind of demedicalized plastic surgery and it's just like oh get this done we've yeah. kind of taken away the you know the, the harm element of gambling so yeah. it's all the colours I think they're very much directed mm. towards women it's all these sort of pretty mm-hmm. colours and mm. and the social media I mean I think you know I think that that's something we've got to remember as well so this this is no longer a seedy bar with smoke in the air this is you speaking with your friends it feels like you know there's something in the world of social media called entanglement it's one of the reasons that kids stay on online so much right because the place the platform that I'm on is also the platform that I connect with my best friends. Well, this kind of entanglement happens with a lot of these gambling sites, right? So I get to know people. So I get that kind of positive reinforcement for something else. And that, you know, and, and I think therein lies what makes it all the more problematic because we know that many social media sites, they, they you know, they're, they're experts at kind of making you lose track of time. So if we were able yeah. to kind of combine that with the reinforcement, the intermittent reinforcement of gambling, which we know is what is the most problematic thing, that every time I pull the lever, sometimes I win, sometimes yeah. I don't. Well, we're, we're programmed to kind of pull that lever longer. Yeah, and, and unfortunately, a lot of the gambling operators will try and make sure that the games are as attractive and, mm. I use the word loosely, but addictive in, in terms of the nature. The number of, of ads actually is, is higher for those targeted at women than men. Right. Um, there was a study done and there was basically um, the sort of average woman could be exposed to 18 and a half, didn't know how the half worked, but 18 and a half ads a week, whereas men was about 15.9. So it, you know, it's, and a lot of that is is daytime because, you know, women are still, even if they're working, they're many times at home looking after the kids and the family. Mm. So there's a high level of exposure to to the advertising. I actually didn't realise that some were focused around like creating a sense of community and and feeling like you're part of something which makes it even more sinister because it locks you in further right it's like compounds the well, yeah. Addiction, I guess. Well, well, it compounds it. Also, it allows you to do those mental gymnastics of like, oh, I'm just going on <laughs> to connect yeah, rather yeah. than to that. And then also it, it means that when I let go, I'm not just letting go of, you know, of the gambling. I'm Maybe I'm letting go of these relationships that I'm formed as well, that I formed as well. And as such, it becomes another barrier to letting go. So, you know, there's a lot of sort of psychological layers to what happens to kind of keep someone doing something that's perhaps not yeah. good for them at a at a level like at a sort of surface level can you explain the difference in the harms and the different behaviors between men and women that you that you traditionally see the the way that they gamble and the harm that it has on them I would say the critical difference is that women experience stigma a lot more so the problem is that because 
I feel different doing this. I feel particularly pathological doing this. And, and don't forget, we still have women making the vast majority of the buying decisions in the family household. They're the ones that are responsible for, for kind of saving the money, for deciding where it goes. Um, they're also the ones that are primarily the sort of the caretakers of the household. That kind of amplifies the harm. So you, the harm. So you feel more pathologized or pathological, and that becomes a big barrier to getting help. And I think that is one of the, the the most critical differences. Whereas for men, because we've had this discussion for a long time, you know, again, it's, what, what did we start off by saying? Yeah, we kind of imagine the guy down at the betting mm-hmm. arena doing this. We don't imagine the woman. Well, we have to, and women themselves have to begin imagining that this is an issue. For them and have a sense of entitlement to ask for help. If you don't feel to ha- you know that you're entitled to say, "Hey, this is an issue," you feel so pathologized. That is the biggest issue. We've seen um, in in our in our research that actually um, women suffer um, in terms of the harms, particularly around stress and anxiety. So that that is one big issue. I mean, you know, there's the, the, the harms themselves are obviously financial. Uh, but not just financial, they're relationship-based. They, they they lead to a sort of a huge concern around sort of um, the, the, how they're going to manage the household, how they're going to manage their lives, etc. So, And as a result, ironically, whilst they might have engaged with this, uh, with, with gambling as a means to become, have a sort of social activity, they become increasingly isolated and they end up doing it on their own and, as, as, as Linda said, hiding it away. And it becomes something that is is essentially quite isolationist in its own, mm. in its own approach. So... Whereas, you know, men, men, obviously, as you talked about sports betting, it sort of starts on a social platform. Unfortunately, it does still end up being in a place where people are hiding it if, it, if it's taken to extremity. Um, but it's, it's for women, it's particularly the sort of the, the health harms around stress and, and anxiety and, and mental health, unfortunately. Yeah, and I guess it does feel even doing anything on social media... I guess the fact that they're doing... Am I right to sort of assume that women are doing it more online than men are doing it more in real life? Uh, both are doing online. I mean, you know, we basically we've got a 24-hour casino in our pocket, yeah, haven't we? Yeah. So, you know, you can go at any any stage and you can you can spend a huge amount of money. So we, it's both. Um, and, in fact, the National Gambling Helpline, um, it's basically 84% of its calls are from people gambling online. So it's it's a huge number. Wow. Can I ask... Zoe, if you could lay out exactly how someone can get help for gambling, and I'm, I suppose I'm thinking on one hand on an individual level, but then for potentially someone listening, but then also someone listening who might have someone that they're close to that they're concerned about and they're gambling, um, how can they get help? So um, and, and, and a number of ways. First of all, I mean, the start of a 10 would be to obviously have a conversation with somebody. I mean, just even just as Linda was saying, just by talking about it is is a real step in the right direction um, and to remove that stigma. Um, the second thing is really to, um, to go to the Be Gambler Aware website, have a look through, because that literally lists all the different types of treatments and support and advice and available and, you know, lists out for those, you know, which in their own community, because you might want to work, work with people in, in your own community. There's also the National Gambling Helpline, um, and we would encourage people to call that. Um, and and then uh, there are obviously other other treatment services available. The NHS are running a number of specialist clinics. Um, there's Gordon Moody residential treatment. But the best way is is probably start by calling the National Gambling Helpline. Yeah, there's obviously Gambler, um, Gamblers Anonymous as well, isn't there? Yes, no, they're, groups, they're they? absolutely, and they're listed on the site. There are many, there are many. Yeah. I mean, the, the, it's actually there's 
there's no shortage of places to go, which is why we sort of encourage people to have the conversation in the first place. Yeah. Because back to that sort of full circle, people don't realise that they are that what they're doing is risky, and indeed for some of them, they're beginning to experience harm. Yeah. And what happens, Linda, if you? If for anybody listening, they're concerned about somebody that they love, how is it best for them to approach this person? What can they say that is going to get through to them and genuinely help them? Yeah, I think um, I think the first thing to be aware is that you're probably going to be met with some defensiveness. Um, so to expect that. And um, and as such, you need to go into it as in a non-judgmental way as possible. So the idea of like, hey, you know, I, you know, is, is anything going on? I notice that you're spending a lot of time alone. I notice you're on your phone a lot. Um, or to kind of open up the conversation and say, listen, you know, I think we're all struggling with different things at the moment. I just want you to know, you know, no judgment, but there, there's a solution to every problem. So kind of to be solution focused rather than problem focused. I think many times what makes people defensive is kind of this idea of like I think this is the issue instead saying hey you know what there may be an issue there may not I'm here to help you know no judgment and if I don't know what to do I'll work with you to figure it out I think also sometimes what we call in psychology the broken record technique I may push you away once I may push you away twice keep coming back you know I'm noticing this I'm here and I think eventually this idea that I see something that maybe you don't want to acknowledge I'm not going to stop saying it might lead to that opening yeah so it's not being scared of the rejection because I think a lot of people would be disheartened if they went to a loved one and tried to help them and then they just got the rebuttal but I think you have to expect the rejection. I think okay. you're probably going to get yeah. that. You're going to get a rationalization. And I think it's about, we often say this with couples therapy, I think sometimes it's about moving the problem between us and putting it in front of us and saying, we're going to look at this mm, together, that's right? That's so, you know, I'm, I'm beside you, right? Yeah. That's, that's great. Nice. That's a really nice yeah. way of looking at it, actually. Yeah. 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 I like that. It's, um, the thing with gambling as well is, is we call it a hidden addiction. Because, you know, if, if, if people drink too much or they take drugs, you know, there's an ingestion you, and you can start to see the sort of the physical effect of it as much as the mental mm. effect. Whereas this is something which you have no, there's no discerning way to tell beyond exactly as Linda said, people spending too much time hiding it and spending too much money. So it's, it's somehow getting through that. And that's why it's really hard for those that I touched on earlier called affected others, because, you know, they have no idea often until until it's way too late. I met a lady the other week who I, I couldn't believe it. She the first time she knew that her husband was was a, was a was a somebody experiencing a huge amount of gambling harm was when the doorbell went and the police uh, were arriving to arrest him. And it was like, my God, because she had not a clue until then. That's oh, how hidden that's... it can get. If somebody's listening and they're like, I'm, I'm not sure if I've got a problem, I'm not sure if this counts, where is the point where you, as, as a charity or as a, as a human who knows a lot about gambling, either of you, would be like, no, come in here now? And I know you say like it's causing harm, but I, I mean sort of like... How you define the harm. How, yeah, how yeah. you define the harm. Um, well, f- 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 from my perspective, it goes back to if, if you notice you're spending too much time, you're spending too much money and you're beginning to hide it. But I think the real thing is, is that level of anxiety that you will start to feel, you know, and there's, you know, a lot of people can turn to this more, more for men, but, but also for women around chasing losses. And, and going going back and back, and it's interesting. I think you're 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 talking to Joe earlier. It was sort of you know when she 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 was sort of told that you know girls don't gamble, mm-hmm. and it's sort of that's that's ridiculous. That goes yeah. back to the stigma mm-hmm. thing. So, yeah, it's 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 basically about that sort of how how you feel and the anxiety and the stress and that you feel within yourself. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure that's. I I think that's what when we look at and look th- there's kind of the extreme end which is the addiction, but on the way to that you have the harms and 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 it begins when. 
you feel that it controls you more than you control it, right? So it goes from being something that you enjoy to this almost this compulsion that you have to do and this chasing of it. Um, and also, if it gets in the way of normal daily activities, I think that would be the thing with any sort of thing that's kind of beginning to control you. So I have to pause my day. I'm late to pick up my kids or, you know, I've, I've lost track of time and, you know, I've, I've, you know, I'm missing sort of the bus for my job or whatever it is, you know, that, that those have to be red flags, not yellow flags, red flags. And look like anything in this area, because lots of things can cause harm and compulsion, right? And the gambling is, is you know, a, a really sort of important one to speak about because we haven't really spoken about it as women before. The sooner you catch it, the sooner you identify it as an issue and seek help, we know, psychologically speaking, the easier it is to get the help. So don't allow it to escalate, even if you're kind of on the fence of like, mm, is it a problem, isn't it? You know, gamble aware, amazing resources. Like it's it's genuinely go on the website, take a look, take the test, see where you're at. And then, you know, even if it is having a one or two discussions with someone, nip it in the bud. Yeah. Can I ask again a bit off script, but physiologically, what is happening in the brain with, when someone gambles? And what, mm. I don't know if this is the right terminology, but causes the addiction or what fuels the addiction? Yeah. What, what exactly is going on in the brain? Because I think it's important to understand for someone listening who is experiencing this, like why it's happening. I think it's really helpful to understand what's happening in the body as well. Sure. So we have um, it's several sort of neurotransmitters that, that make us feel good. Now, um, the one that's really critical here is dopamine. Now, dopamine is sort of a happy hormone. It gives us that spike. But critically, dopamine is also involved in habit formation, right? Dopamine is actually one of those neurotransmitters that allows us to learn. So if I'm throwing a ball in a hoop, every time I get closer throwing that ball, I get that, that spike. Well, the issue is because that spike is also involved in habit formation, every memory I have of that spike is that this is really good. So if you speak to a gambler, they're going to name off every time they won like this big number. They're not going to name off every time they lost. <laughs> that's, that's, that doesn't come in to, to the, because what, it, what our brain is allowing us to do, and this is kind of allowed us to evolve uh, our, our ability to get good at things yeah. is to remember the stuff that gives us this high. And, and that's the problem. So what's happening is you're associating this behavior with the spike. And actually, the more you chase it, the more you need to kind of get that spike. Right. We've seen like a lot in the news about gambling and a lot of people are calling for reform to the laws around gambling. And we were wondering what gambler aware's view of that is do you think the law needs to change and if so how so we are all uh, within this sector waiting for on a white paper um, and this white paper that government was going to be issued is now being delayed four times and with the new government and with what's going on we're mm. sort of all sitting there thinking how long can this how long can this take before it's it's finally published and the reason we're all yearning for this paper to be published is that it's going to have um, much more stringent regulation say stringent because nobody knows quite what's in it but we're hoping for much stronger regulation that's going to take place around uh, the way that uh, operators can sort of uh, encourage people to gamble so I for example, you know, there's 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 the VIP clubs, the free bets. You know, I, I don't know what's in the white paper, but these are the sort of territories that could be explored. Mm. Affordability checks. You know, can somebody really afford to make this bet? Now, managing that is obviously a, a bit of a challenge because you don't want to be infringing into people's personal lives. But you know, providing some sort of framework, and and making sure that um, there's a little bit more. Uh, well, that we're, we're also calling for a little bit more uh, control, particularly around advertising, specifically towards young people. Uh, 
um, and making sure that uh, sports sponsorship is managed in, in a way. Um, so there's a whole array around regulation that we hope will come forward in this white paper and make sure that the uh, the industry is 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 sort of you know behaving uh, in accordance with what is essentially the gambling act was done before the digital age so mm. it's 2005 and things have come in leaps and bounds since then so it's critical that the the, the new legislation reflects the environment that we're all gambling in which is essentially online yeah it's interesting in the work that we do like al and i talk a lot about regulations on instagram particularly for like diet ads or weight loss ads surgery ads that sort of thing but it's crazy that there isn't that legislation particularly to stop and i guess i haven't seen it because it's not in my algorithm but the way that the algorithm works is if you see one thing it just keeps feeding it to you and there's just no and you mentioned young people and i don't know if you can comment on this but do you find that with social media it's easier for much younger people to bypass well i mean in theory of course you know you 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 can't gamble until you're 18 years old but we did some research um, a couple of years ago which basically showed that actually there were 41,000 children who were sort of Twitter followers of of gambling operators etc and that 96% of I think it was 11 to 24 year olds were uh, had seen some marketing activity from from gambling operators so we know that obviously you know it's there's exposure out there and it's mm. how we can constrain and limit that exposure. So that research actually led to some some regulation around actually just being launched actually this month, October, which is that um, uh, operators can't use celebrities that appeal to the to children mm. in their advertising. Now that's a big step because of course they're so used to seeing their sort of their football hero featuring in an ad promoting gambling. Um, and even if it's run after the watershed of sort of nine pm, the reality is that they they they're very, they can see that. And mm. the bit that we'd like the next step to be is the fact that actually they should be banning them being from being able to wear the sort of the gambling operator's logo on the football pitch. That's something we have to wait for for the moment and wait for this white paper. So, yeah, a whole suite of sort of new, um, slightly more tighter rules around regulation would be... As we're talking about this, I'm just thinking, you'll have had this too, we're thinking of all the, um, as influencers, of all the campaigns that are offered to us for gambling. Yeah, Yeah. so so many. And huge amounts of money Mm. as well. Yeah. Obviously, we turn them down instantly. Good for you, good for you. Of course, they're never explored, but um, there are a lot. Absolutely. We um, we do uh, some campaigns, we're doing one actually for the World Cup, and actually it's incredibly difficult to try and find a, a football celebrity who is not working with a gambling operator. Really? I mean, there are a few out there, but my Gosh. God. We That's have to sad. Go. It That's is, you know, sad. and we're quite stringent. They can't be working with a gambling operator for, for the last year, etc., yeah. because it's so critically important to have that sort of clear water and distance. And it's surprising, right, because we, we understand now the human psyche and how it can be hacked in a way that we didn't, you know. You know, with the online world, we've got all this other information. And, and I think this is the problem the same way, to your point about the whole, you know, uh, body image and girls thing and and how it affects us, our our technological advancements and evolution is outpacing our social advancement and evolution. But we need to step it up. And I think that, you know this this kind of it, it just the wheels of the bureaucracy turn a lot slower. So you know even though now we know it, we know we're hackable. We really do, right? Which is why. And again, maybe this is coming slightly outside of this conversation. But you know, you look at how different countries regulate things like TikTok, right? So you look at places like China. And I'm not holding China up as a beacon in some ways, but in some ways, you know, they're on it. They're much more, if you're on a website, they know how old you are in a way that we don't. You can get on porn sites, on gambling sites, on any kind of site, regardless. But also, they switch things off and on depending 
on your age. We're still now, like you're saying, you're having trouble even kind of finding, you know, uh, someone who's not, you know, willing to advertise with them. So we are kind of, you know, pretending that we don't see what there's a, a lot mm-hmm. of evidence of um, these days. Yeah. yeah. Our culture is actually gross. Yeah. <laughs> it's so bad, so annoying. Um, I just, just to finish us off, I wonder if there's one thing from each of you that you would say to anybody that was listening that was struggling or that maybe didn't realise it before they listened to this or has kind of known for a while. If there was just one thing you'd say to them to let them feel. I guess on an emotional level, because we've outlined yeah. the practical side yeah. of it, which is brilliant, but on a, on a really like an uh, emotional level. For me, I, I use the word empowerment. I, I really want to empower women mm. to have the conversation and, and, and not, back to, to Linda's point, not feel stigmatised about it, not feel ashamed, but just to be able to recognise and, you know, actually to recognise, uh, to have greater awareness of what they're doing, but also greater awareness of that there is help, there is uh, yeah. people out there to support them, whether it happens to be family or the experts, yeah. just just talk about it. Yeah, no, and, and just to, to echo that, you know, I think we, we speak a lot about... Um, about you know this idea of, of of entitlement right and like and and I think any of the social changes we've seen we've seen it with that entitlement you know I'm, I'm allowed to you know to to live in the body that I was born I'm allowed to kind of celebrate these imperfections and actually we're all imperfect you know that's fine it doesn't make you a bad person it doesn't make you less than and actually there is no power without responsibility so you know that idea of taking responsibility to kind of say this this is an issue there are people out there to help and feeling entitled to that and not feeling this sense of you know I shouldn't I couldn't because the, the issue with, with gambling is the solution becomes part of the problem. What is the solution? I'll hide. The more I hide, the more problematic it becomes. So to slash that through, I need to feel empowered, entitled to take care of myself. Um, we're going to leave all of GamblerWare's information in the show notes. Uh, but before we let these two go, we would just really like um, Zoe to share with us the National GamblerWare Helpline. Yeah, it's actually the National Gambling Helpline. So and it's on 0808 <laughs> One three three, so um, and it's available twenty four seven, and it's free. And clearly, all the advice given is entirely confidential. Thank you so much. Brilliant. Thank you. Now we are joined by Joe Mustafa and Lisa Walker, who are both going to share with us um, their personal experiences with gambling and gambling addiction. We've already heard from Zoe, who is the CEO of Gamble Aware, and we've heard from uh, Linda, who is a psychologist. So now we would like to get an oversight of a more like lived experience of gambling and the impact that it really has on on an individual. So, uh, Joe, I was wondering if you could uh, kick us off by telling us how you started getting into gambling, how this all came about for you. Yeah, of course. Um, for me, it was about seven years ago. Um, I randomly just put a bet on the football. Um, I've never gambled before. But um, my stepdad, he was putting a bet on because he likes watching the football. And um, so I thought, yeah, I'll do that as well. Just have a little go. And this bet won. So that made me think, oh, well, I'm quite good at that. You know, made me feel good. Um, So I had a bit of money to play with. So I had a look around the website and found the slots. Um, And it was the slots that really, you know, it took, you know, it took me in. I started winning and then I, then I started losing a hell of a lot um, and I couldn't accept the fact that I was losing. So I was constantly chasing that money back 
um, and getting myself into so much debt, um, so depressed, um, and well, yeah, just went down for, downhill from there, spiraled out of control, and yeah. When you imagine the slots, I imagine them to be physical yeah. slot machines, not slots online. But it's just it's, it's websites, right? That you, yeah, that you found it, and it was so easy to do. I could, you just press the button, and away you go. You know, and I would spend literally days, nights, literally, I wouldn't sleep. Sometimes I'd call in sick for work. Um, I didn't want to see any of my friends. I didn't want to talk to anyone. I was in this kind of zone of gambling. How long was that going on for? Um, It was going on for about three years. Yeah, so quite a while, got myself into quite a bit of debt. (laughs) So, which is, you know. Yeah, Lisa, is your story kind of similar to that? So my story, um, I was introduced to gambling at eight years old. Um, My dad and my granddad used to play cards and it wasn't until my probably teens that I realised that my dad had a problem with gambling. Uh, When I was 18, um, I was taken to my first casino on my 18th birthday, just me and my dad. And I remember walking into the casino and just seeing all the flashing lights and the roulette tables and the poker tables and... You know, and I put 50p on number 27 on the roulette and it came in and I won £18. And I thought, like, wow, you know, like 30 seconds later, I've won 18 quid. Um, In my sort of 20s, I would say that I never crossed the line of addiction to gambling. It was always under control. Um, I had my two children when I was 23 and 24. Unfortunately, my daughter Georgia was starved of oxygen at birth which resulted in me giving up my career to become Georgia's full-time carer. So when I did go to the casino, it was like an escape from me, from what was going on in my own personal life. And it was when I was 29, I went to the casino with my sister and four other people, and there was a progressive jackpot on the poker, which was linked up to all the casinos around the country. And that night, I won £127,000 off a pound. Um, And that was the night that changed my life forever. So the casino, sort of like, it was Chinese New Year. It, It was meant to up the casino. I had people coming up to me and touching me because they thought I was this lucky sort of spirit. Um... And the casino just basically sat me down and said, look, you've won 127 grand. What do you do? I said, I'm a full-time carer. They was like, oh, my God, this is fantastic. This is going to make great news, you know, winning all this money. Um, They enticed me back. No no one ever sat me down and said, you've won life-changing money. My mortgage was 65 grand. Um, And I didn't pay my mortgage off um, for the next 16 years till I was 45 I gambled every day to the, it's very sad to say, but I ended up homeless um, on the streets with my children through my gambling um, and lost about half a million pound um, over that time. So it's, um, you know, it's sad. And as a woman, it's, you know, even sadder because I didn't have anyone to talk to. That's the really, like, strikes me like, the cruel nature of gambling is that it on one hand it can give you this huge high probably a high that you've never experienced before and then on the other side of it is is this like devastating like debilitating impact of all the loss i think um 
you know, like what I do want to say is that I'm not addicted to anything else. Yeah. I, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't take drugs. Mm. It was the gambling. And obviously that day um, when I won that 127 grand, I should imagine it was like someone doing a line of cocaine, someone getting yeah. drunk, the high, the buzz that it left me on. Um, I've got all this money now. But the reality of it was that the gambling just led me into a complete despair in my life, you know, where every day I needed to gamble and I just couldn't ever see a way out of it. You know? I'm so sorry for yeah. you. That's like, that's been horrible. Yeah. Um, when you, that night you won that money, did, what, what was your... Home situation, you had your two kids and you were caring for your daughter. Yeah, so I had, uh, yeah, I had my two children. Um, I owned my own house um, and I was in a relationship. Um, I gave my sister £20,000 um, and we went to America, me and the kids. Um, I then found Vegas, um, you know, compulsive gambler's dream, yeah. you know, going to Vegas. And it was when I was 35 um, that I ended up homeless um, and losing everything through gambling and when I went up to the council and said you know this is like you know I'm homeless and they said why and I said because I'm addicted to gambling and she said we wish you'd have been a drug addict or an alcoholic because what what, what, what do we do with a compulsive gambler and that day and that was 15 like I'm, I'm 50 now um, but that day, um, it was the worst day of my life because I just felt so ashamed. And as a woman with a gambling addiction, why doesn't anyone understand me? Why why isn't there any help for me? Mm. If I was a drug addict or an alcoholic, mm. people would signpost me somewhere and I could go into rehab. But why isn't anyone coming out and saying, Lisa, this is what you could do? So I've carried a lot of guilt and shame around with me for a long time. But since being in recovery, I know now that I was ill and I needed, yeah. you know, and I needed to get that help. Yeah. And that's what I did. Joe, was there a sort of rock bottom like point for you where you realised like this has gone too far and I really need to get some help now? I actually carry cannot carry on like this. Um, yeah, um, I think I kind of I saw the person who I turned into and I didn't like it because that wasn't me I was a liar <clears throat> you know I'd sneak around and I didn't want to know anybody um I did sink into a very dark place you know yeah. depression and I didn't well I didn't want to be alive anymore mm. um and I think you know I had two options you know and one of them was reaching out for help um and yeah, so that's what I had to do. I had, I knew I had to, yeah, because otherwise it was not going to be a nice, you know, outcome. What was your um, like home life like at that time? Were you living alone, or were you? Did you, did you, did you were you um, with your family? I was. I'd moved back home because I had a, a house previously, but um, I had to sell that, so I, I was living back at home again. Um, so yeah, it wasn't. There was no like particular stress or anything like that mm. for me at the time it was just I don't know I just was I just put this one bet on and yeah. it went from there really and in the end it was it was more about like I, I, at first I thought it was the money side of things I was doing it for money but it wasn't actually for money mm. I liked the fact that I was when I was gambling I was in this 
place of my own that, you know, nobody, I was protected from any thoughts or feelings that, you know, I couldn't deal with happiness, I couldn't deal with being depressed, I couldn't deal with being sad. So while I was gambling, I didn't have any of that apart from a good feeling if I was winning, you know? Yeah. So I think... Once I'd stopped, like if I'd run out of money, that would be the only point that I would stop gambling is when I literally had nothing left. Um, Then obviously I would start getting all those feelings all hit me at once, you know, and then that would trigger me to want to gamble again. So, yeah. Horrible, vicious cycle. Yeah, yeah, it really was. I mean, the stress and the anxiety and, you know, depression, in the end, it, it caused my hair to start falling out. Did it? Yeah, yeah. Um, and the doctor said it was due to the stress, the alopecia. Right. So, yeah, and then I had to shave my hair, and then which made me want to gamble even more because I got even more depressed because, you know, I thought that was the worst thing that could happen to me, <laughs> losing yeah. my hair, you know? Yeah. How was, for both of you, how was your... Did you have a good support system or, like, how did the people around you react to what was going on, if they knew at all? So, for me, um, my gambling was mostly done in secret. Mm. I would go off, um, drive off to casinos on my own, bookmakers, dog tracks, horse racing, wherever. Um, It was only when I ended up homeless that um, the questions started to be asked, you know, what the hell is going on? Um, and I did, I did reach out. I went to Gamblers Anonymous, um, but unfortunately, I didn't. I wasn't rock bottom then. Even though I was homeless, I still wasn't rock bottom, and I still hadn't had enough of gambling. So I continued to to gamble. Um, I got placed in a hostel with my two children, and because of my daughter, um, I ended up. They put me in a flat um, which was purposely built for my daughter. And, you know, and I used to gamble while they were at school, um, you know, weekends if my ex-husband had the kids. Um, Just just like Joe said, you know, it was almost like I was in a bubble and no one could get to me. And I could go into this casino and just not think about any of my problems and just, Mm. you know, everything that was going on around me. You know, I was losing track of time. You know, I was wasn't present when people were talking to me look like today you know I'm engaging it wasn't like that I, I, I couldn't care I, all I wanted to do was gamble and and that's the thing as a woman you know you go to casinos you go to bookmakers you go to dog races horse racing meetings and 90% of it is men and yeah. I was a woman walking in with all these men and you know and I used to think like Where's all the women? You know, why am I the and spe- and and also and in Gamblers Anonymous, it was all men, it was all men, and you know, and I didn't listen. I didn't listen in my thirties to any advice I was given. Um, thought I knew it all, but I didn't know nothing. Um, but obviously we'll talk about we'll go on to that, you know. Um, but it's sad. It yeah. is sad, you know. What about you, Joe? The people around you? Um, well. Mine was the same as Lisa, like, I would gamble by myself. I never used to go to, you know, the casinos or anything like that. Mine was online, so I would go off on my, into a separate room by myself. Um, and I didn't want to be disturbed. Like, yeah. if somebody texted me or rang me while I was gambling, I would actually be really annoyed, mm. like, you know, and I would ignore everyone. Um, but 
uh, I think it, I realised I got to a point where I, like, I'd run out of money and then I'd have this awful, sick feeling. Yeah. Um, and I'd say to my mum, can you just, like, take my laptop away from me? Just, you know, stop me. But then I'd always say to her, oh, I'm just going to have one more go, you know? Um, but... <laughs> You know, I was quite lucky in the sense that my family, once I told them everything, um, mm. they were very supportive, you know. Um, so, yeah. It's really interesting listening the difference, how you have such similar experiences, but the way that you, um, that your addictions like manifested themselves were so different in that you were physically there and you were doing it more online. Um, do you feel, and I don't know, and I don't know if you guys can comment on this, but do you feel like you saying, Lisa, that it's a lot more men in in the casinos, in the bookies that and at the races, do you feel like more women traditionally gamble online maybe or would you not comment to that I don't know I think now um I mean I never found online gambling thank goodness um because I got into so much trouble anyway but for me the work I do now mm. we are seeing more and more women coming in saying that they're gambling online mm. I think uh, the pandemic with the covid had a lot to play with it yeah. you know women at home um you know, a lot of, you know, with the children, you know, a lot of stress, worry, anxiety of an evening. The women are getting online, playing online slots, bingo, um, especially with the advertising, the mm. adverts that are coming on every day. It's in your face, you know, sign up, sign up, you know, listen to the radio. It's on every sports channel, you know, free bets, free this, free that. And the women we're seeing are gambling um, and it is, it's, most of the time, it's for an escape. Yeah. They're trying to escape what is going on, you know, in their lives, with their relationships. You know, something might have happened with their children, you know, some health, anything. But it just seems like it's growing and growing. And online, you know, we've all got mobile phones. We've all got 24-hour casinos mm. on our mobile phones, which is a sad thing. I mean, before, I didn't even know like gambling could be a problem like I didn't I didn't know you could be addicted to gambling I really didn't um and I think perhaps maybe if I'd have known that you know known some some of the warning signs or or whatever then I could have been a bit more aware I think and and that's why you know doing this campaign is like brilliant to raise the awareness isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, we, we've we've learned so much even just from having these conversations because, like you say, you just our vision or my vision particularly was always of men gambling and right. of men down the football, men down the races. Yeah. Like, and it's so we talked before to the others about how this culture is crazy for just like promoting these behaviours that are addictions and then they're, they're really unhealthy and no other country does it like we do it with drinking and gambling mm. and it's so commonplace that you take your kids to the pub you take your kids to the races and it's just like I feel like other yeah. nations would look at us and be like yeah don't what, do that what are you doing <laughs> leave them at home definitely so we know that stigma can be something that impacts women in particular was this something that you experienced so no one ever confronted me about my money problems while I was gambling Problem gambling is a very easily hidden habit, mm. unlike drink or drugs. Mm. Obviously, with both of them, you have signs to look out for. I definitely experienced stigma around my gambling, which meant I felt scared and embarrassed to reach out. Um, I just wish that I, I, I just wish that I 
could have reached out and I wish I would have been signposted. You know, if someone could have said to me, like, Lisa, this is where you can go for, you know, to get help. Um, Because all I ever knew about was Gamblers Anonymous and which we'll talk about in a minute because it was Gamblers Anonymous that saved me without a shadow of a doubt. But other than that, and I'm going back, you know, 15, 20 years ago, um, where a woman gambling was like, what? You know, what the hell? Yeah. It's, it is men, you know. And that's why I felt so, I don't know, just so alone, you know. Mm-hmm. Is that how you felt, Jo? Yeah, I felt totally alone. I didn't know who I could turn to, who I could tell, you know. I didn't know where to get support. Um, in my mind, if I thought about getting help, all I could picture was you know, these plastic chairs in a hall with blokes in a yeah. circle chatting, you know, and that really put me off. I was just like, oh, you know, I don't, you know, I, I made me feel uncomfortable. Um, but, yeah, I, I did definitely experience the same. Lucy, you said the first time you went to Gamblers Anonymous, it wasn't, it, it, you, you hadn't hit rock bottom. And then, but you then said that they, they saved your life. So you did go back to them. yeah. Can I ask, I think for a lot of people who don't understand addiction or who aren't aware of addiction, listening to you saying you've you've lost your house and you're homeless with your two kids, people would think that's rock bottom, but it doesn't work like that. And from the outside, we somebody can look at your situation and say, well, that's probably as bad as it's going to get. But unless you're there, you have to be ready. And that's something that is um, across the board for all of the, anyone who's seeking help for addiction and going to these anonymous groups. Um, so what was it, if you don't mind saying that took you from? So, um, what happened was, uh, I got married in Vegas, my third wedding. Um, my two failed marriages before was because of my gambling. So 45 years old, five years ago, I got married in Vegas. I flew 15 of us out there to Vegas. My son gave me away on my wedding day. And, um... We spent the evening in a casino where the drink was flowing. Um, I don't drink, so I knew everyone was going to get drunk, and which I was quite pleased about because I knew that I could go back to my hotel and gamble. So I got in a cab in my wedding dress and went off for the whole night on my own. Didn't go to my wedding party. And I got a payday loan out in England, wired to my bank account in America, and I gambled till 6am in the morning. Uh, when I finally got into bed um, at 6am, when my husband woke up, mm. he said, what time did you get in? And I said, two. And straight away, I'm, I'm married and I'm starting my mm. marriage on a lie. Mm. Um, got back from Vegas and the, my, my rock bottom was the 1st of April 2018. So I borrowed... I asked my son if I could borrow £2,000 to pay off this payday loan. And my son is a carpet fitter and he works really hard for his money. And he lent it to me. He put it in my bank and I was at Tesco's at the time and it hit my bank account and I knew that the bookies was a minute away. And within 35 minutes, I'd spent the £2,000 on the FOBT machines, which are the fixed odds betting terminals. And they were £100 a spin at the time. And I remember losing that £2,000 and walking back to my car and just thinking like, Lisa, you need help. You, you know, this is it now. I think the, ne- the next thing's death. 
because I felt so, not because I felt suicidal, but my body couldn't take it physically. My heart felt like it was going to pound out my chest. You know, I wasn't looking after myself. Um, you know, now I've borrowed this money off my son. You know, what am I doing? Um, so, yeah, so I reached out to Gamblers Anonymous again. I was told to get back in the rooms and I went back. And what was different this time was I listened, started to listen. Yeah. I dropped this big ego personality that I've got. I sunk, I done, I gave everything to Gamblers Anonymous. I told everybody I know, friends, family, mm. um, got them all round, told them everything. Um, people cried that knew me for years that didn't realise what I was going through. My mum and my husband went to Gammonon, which is the biggest room in Essex for families with addiction, mm. because they wanted to learn more about it. Um, I handed over my finances. Um, I'd done everything that I was told to do. And that's uh, that's when my recovery started taking off. Yeah. Thank God. Joe, was it the same? You said you would give, when you knew things were getting bad, you'd give your mum your laptop, but then you'd say to her, actually, I need to have another... So was she aware, were your parents aware of what you were doing as you were living with them? I think, um, well, they knew that, that I was gambling, um, but I don't think they actually realised that it had actually become quite a big problem mm. because obviously I'd play it down because I, I wanted that laptop back, so I wanted to gamble. Um, but I think um, I did tell them in the end because <clears throat> I had no way out. <clears throat> And um, I think I literally explored every avenue that I could to get more money, you know, and I was constantly lying and I was just a horrible person. I didn't like myself whatsoever. Um, so I started to look online because I was so desperate because, you know, I, I didn't want to be alive anymore. I had no way out. I didn't know how this was ever going to resolve. Like, I could not imagine getting up in a, like, of a day and just not gamble. It was, you know, I couldn't imagine my life without it, to be honest. Um, so I did um, some research online and I came across Gordon Moody and I went on their programme, which was uh, for women, and it was just a retreat. It wasn't, like, residential as such. Um, and so they they put me on the path to recovery. Um, but then, obviously, I got alopecia and um, my hair fell out and I had to shave it off so that made me you know I had a major relapse and I was back where I was you know from the beginning getting myself in more debt you know um but I reached back out to them and they had me back on the program and yeah and then I'm here now really I'm going strong and yeah hoping to help yeah. other people other ladies yeah. you definitely will be by sharing it, and it, there's, we say this so much, but shame can't exist in the light. So, like, just even by having this conversation, it's so powerful. Yeah. Show that other women that they're not on their own. I and I bet Lisa, like, telling your, I was thinking as you're saying it, you telling everyone, telling everyone about it must have been a really good positive step because yeah, you take your shame out of the shadows and and it. And it and also you add a level of accountability, I guess, to your recovery. Yeah, 100%. Do you consider yourselves as recovered or do you think of yourselves as in recovery? Do you, is it a continuous battle whereby you have to continue to fight against addiction and 
or do you feel like you're in a place where it just it kind of no longer exists for you? So for me, um, I'm in recovery. I've yeah. got to be in recovery for the rest of my life. Okay. Yeah. Um, I have to attend GA mm-hmm. every Monday afternoon because I am a compulsive gambler. Mm. Although I haven't had a bet for four and a half years, um, it's a one day at a time program, and you know something could trigger me um, where I, you know, but with the right tools and the right people around me now and the work that I'm doing, mm. um, it does keep me off a bit because I know where to reach out now for help when I'm struggling. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I totally would agree with that. I'm yeah. in recovery and I will be for, well, forever, really. I mean, I think now I'm more aware of my triggers and how, like, I've, I've got better ways of coping with mm. things rather than you know re, you know turn to gambling yeah um and i think you know that awareness is very important when you stopped gambling because i imagine that gambling was a great way to avoid any feelings and emotions and it's just a great you know for for most people that have addictions it's a form of escapism and a, and a way to take you out of your own head you don't have to deal with uncomfortable feelings and 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 painful feelings when you stopped gambling was it difficult then to have to face all of these feelings and have nowhere really to escape from them so um for me well for a lot of people it's called filling the void um Mm. so when you give up gambling um i suppose or any addiction you know it is all about filling that void and making sure that you know when you're gambling Mm. you're took into this different it's not a real world you're in it's a completely innocent escape from reality and then all of a sudden you're not ga- I gambled for 16 years every day for 20 not till like 29 till 45 yeah. so all of a sudden I'm now being told Lisa you can't ever gamble again and I'm like what the hell am I gonna do mm. you know what all I've done is gamble I don't I've never had a proper job because I'm a full-time care I am a full-time carer and that is a proper job, by the way. I always thought that I, you know, I wasn't educated. Mm. So I began, and people that know me, I began walking, which I never used to do. Um, I bought a dog. Um, I take him out every day. My life, you know, I started eating healthier. Um, I started listening to podcasts, you know, walking around the house, doing me over and listening to a podcast. Mm. Just anything... I could do anything I wanted to do, but just not gamble. Yeah. That was the thing, okay. you know. And that is what, you know, I say to people now that come into my groups, filling that void is the hardest thing to do. But once you do it, it just becomes a little bit easier every day That as go as life, got, you know, every day gets a bit easier. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My problem was I would never accept any feeling or emotion like... I would just pretend I'm okay all the time. I'd always be smiling. And even if I'm sad, I'm smiling, you know. Um, So I think for me was um, talking to people and, you know, letting it out because there's only so much you can hold in, isn't there? Um, So once I realised that it's okay to feel sad, it's okay to, you know, be happy, it's perfectly fine to have a day of... uh, for myself, you know, that's fine. Um, 
I think that was that really, you know, helped me. And then I started, do, you know, looking for different hobbies, you know, just like cross stitch I did for a little while just to keep me, yeah. you know, active in my brain, you know, and then going for walks. I mean, I've got a dog and I love her so much. So oh. I take her out and I see my family more. I spend a lot more time with them yeah. and just doing things that, you know, nice you don't have to spend money it's just go out in the garden and just yeah. take five minutes yeah. and be present and did yeah. you put any physical blocks on yourself because I imagine gambling online is a difficult thing mm. in that maybe you have more time if you're going to a casino or go, driving somewhere to be like no I'm going to stop myself but if it's online you know it's so quick did you implement anything to stop you from accessing the sites or, or have you just gone like willpower up to like a million um no I had to what I did was I handed all my finances over to my mum and that that was everything my bank card I couldn't log online to it um I gave up my mobile phone my laptop um I just bought a phone that had no internet on it so it, it was difficult, you know, yeah. because, you know, everyone's used to having their phone. You can just go yeah. online. Yeah. Um, but this was something that I really had to do yeah. because, yeah. you know, it, as horrible as it was, it was definitely worth it, you know. And, I, you know, I joined up to GamStop um, and I had Gamban, but Gamban didn't work for me personally. That's why I had to get rid of my phone. Okay. Um but, yeah, it was tough, but so worth it in the end. Yeah. And I think my, because um, I didn't gamble online and I gambled in casinos, mm. it was actually the casino manager, um, who I'm friends with now, said to me, you've got a gambling problem. Mm. He sat me down and he said, I want you to self-exclude from the casino. Right. Um, so I self-excluded from the casinos um, all around where I lived and I also self-excluded myself from the bingo halls, the bookmakers. I It's called Moses, M-O-S-E-S. -E it's a self-exclusion scheme for anybody. If any women are struggling out there, you know, going into these places, you can. And GamStop and GamBan are apps that you can uh, download on your mobile phones which blocks um, websites for you ac accessing websites. Um, there's quite a lot now that, you know, you can yeah. do to try and, you know, help yeah. help people. Lisa, now you've have, you've actually set up your own support group and it's a women only support group. Can you tell us about it and why you came to set this up and, and how, how it's going? So, yeah, so I set it up because when I walked into GA, there was 35 men and me, one, one other woman. And I just thought to myself, where are all the women? Yeah. Um, you know, there's got to be women out there. So I was lucky enough during COVID to get a break. Um, I'd done a podcast, an all-women's podcast about gambling. And um, one of the ladies on there just phoned me up and said, would you like to become a peer support worker? Um, we, we'll train you up. So I trained to become a peer support worker with Bet No More. And then 18 months ago, I went to my boss and said, look, I've got an idea about setting up a group called New Beginnings. Yeah. I said, I want it to be a women's only group. I said, I want it to be 10 weeks um, structured programme where women from all over England and Ireland can join on Zoom um, and feel like that they can be in a safe space. Um, we have topics every week we talk about. So I had my first cohort in April uh, first two cohorts in April, which was a daytime and a nighttime group. Um, I'm now on my third and fourth cohort, 
and I've got women in and I've also got a waiting list now for January. Uh, people are waiting to come in. Um, but what I did realise very, very quickly in April was the women said to me on the first cohort, what are we going to do after the 10 weeks? You know, what are we going to do, Lisa? We don't want to go. So I went back to my boss and said, I need some more money. Um, can we? Can you get some more money for the like? You know, through the charity, because I need to run more support groups. So now we offer, alongside New Beginnings, health and wellbeing groups for women fifty weeks of the year. Yeah. So women that come through New Beginnings every week, they can log on and come onto the health and wellbeing groups and just chat and just be, you know, talk about. It doesn't have to always be about gambling. It can be about something that's on their mind. Um, you know, but it's just a safe space for women to come and talk to. And yeah. I just think any woman that's out there listening to this who thinks that they may have got a problem with gambling or mm. a partner thinks they may have, don't suffer in silence. Yeah. Don't suffer, you know, reach out, get the help you need. Listen, I ended up losing everything and I've turned my life around now. Mm. You know, I, I'm not rich. I don't live in a big house, mm. but I'm the happiest I've ever been now because I'm not gambling. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, you know, and I'm helping people and I love it. That's amazing. And Joe, what would you say to anyone who might be in a similar position to where you were? I would say don't suffer in silence. There's plenty of support out there. You can have a look on begambleraware.org where you can get, like, free confidential advice and, you know, um, but you're not on your own, you know, we're living proof that, you know, you can get the help you need and live a happy, happy life. You don't need gambling to make you, make you happy. Anyone concerned about their gambling or that of a, help, or of a loved one should contact the National Gambling Helpline for free confidential support, which is available on 0808 8020 24 hours a day, seven days a week, or visit begambleaware.org for free confidential advice and support. Wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing your stories with us. And it's incredible to hear what you've been through and see where you are now. And just, yeah, we wish you like all the best in your continued journeys. And thank you so much for sharing with us. Shudder Delete That is part of the ACAST Creator Network. 